holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to an extra Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you. It's, it's kind of fun doing this on a Friday, although it runs the risk of making a Friday feel like a Monday. Mm, that's a bad thing. That. Yeah, that's a bad thing, isn't it? If you can make a Monday feel like a Friday, that would be good. But making a Friday feel like a Monday, that's... That's not good. But then, I mean, I think we could blame most of that on Arsenal, actually. Well, it, you know. All days after Arsenal games feel a bit like Mondays, don't they? Inevitably. <laughs> I mean, if we if Arsenal hadn't been in the Europa League, then I would be doing a normal podcast because we would have played Champions League on Tuesday or Wednesday. We wouldn't have to do a podcast on a Friday morning. So ultimately, the blame is on Arsenal. So everybody um, get an extra pitchfork and some extra flames because I think they're out already. And you yeah. can pin this one on the Gunners. The the armory is all out of pitchforks after last night. Mm. I had a funny dream about you last night. Um, wow. Before before what we get on to start this. to a conversation, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. It's nothing nothing exciting. Don't worry about it. But basically, you refused to do the podcast with me anymore <laughs> until such time as I apologised for my performance in the ashes. In 1998, you were very, very unhappy that I had performed under par and you took it very personally that I was like, well, why would you why would you expect me to play well for England in the ashes? I'm Irish. Yeah. What's what's your fucking problem here? And you were going, no, until you my problem, Andrew. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I, yeah, I was taking no response. No, no. You got to apologize no. on, no. no. on air. No, I am not. I'm not. Mm. Mm. Mm, well, could be the end oh, of the that podcast. Here. To, that's food for thought. Certainly, <laughs> I'll get back to you. Let's see if I'm here on Monday or not. Mm, I was. That. I was completely indifferent to your uh, unhappiness with my performance. Now I'm not sure if I was a batter or a bowler, maybe an all rounder, kind of an Ian Botham type. Who knows? Yeah. But I, I was taking no responsibility for it whatsoever. And I think my feeling is from the dream that I, I actually did play really, really badly. Probably you knew that you had to yeah, play badly. Yeah, yeah. Possibly deliberately. I don't know. Mm, quite possibly. Um, but there you go. But look, that was just a funny little dream and not real. I don't think it's real anyway, unless dreams are actually other existences that we have that yeah. we that we don't know about. We can only tap into them when we're when we're asleep. Uh, in which case, I apologize um, for many things. <laughs> Not yeah, the cricket, I mean, if, if we have to start apologising for all the things we've seen in our dreams, this is going to be a long podcast. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, I think we're delaying the inevitable. So, um, 
Arsenal played Ostersund last night in the Europa League, have qualified for the round of 16. That is the positive point of what happened last night. We've qualified, we're into the round of 16, the draw takes place today at noon. Yes, that's the good news. Uh, that's the good news. Mm. Uh, and should we move on or <laughs> should we leave it there for, for this game? <laughs> Um, I, you know, I don't know what to, to make of it, really. You know, there's part of me that is not surprised by anything that happens to this team anymore and the way we play. It was pretty obvious from the start, wasn't it, that they just turned up. They were not really inclined to take this game terribly seriously for all the talk of being able to force your way into the manager's reckoning for the rest of the season or for the Carabao Cup final. There, there wasn't really anyone out there who played in a way that made you think, hey, they're really up for this. They really want to show what they're made of. No, and I, I mean, I don't, this isn't what people tuned in to hear, but is there, playing devil's advocate, is there some degree of mitigation that should be offered, not in defence of Arsenal, but by explanation of Arsenal's performance? You know, this tie was essentially over in everybody's estimation. Mm. Like, is there... Is it is it understandable to any extent that they, with a cup final a few days away, did have their foot firmly off the gas? I think it's hard to ignore the fact that you've got a cup final. I'm not blind to that. Um, mm. But I also think that those are kind of handy excuses for a performance that we've seen more than once this season, whether there's a cup final on the horizon or not, or whether there's a 3-0 lead going into a game or not. I mean, I think... What was very clear when they went 2-0 up was that, okay, all of a sudden this game is not won. And these players should be aware of that. I think they were aware of it to an extent. Jack Wilshire talking afterwards about you know how it was not good enough and we underestimated them. How many times have we heard that from an Arsenal team? Oh, we didn't take the game as seriously. We weren't switched on. We underestimated the opposition and... You know, I thought there was something quite curious about Arsene Wenger's post-match comments as well, where he said the team was not focused, they were complacent, they didn't have any ideas. Uh, And then he said, we prepared uh, seriously and in the right way, or properly and serious is, is what he called the preparations. But if your preparation is proper and serious and you take all of the things into account, it's a smaller team. We're 3-0 up from the first leg. It's a game that everybody expects us to win. Uh, We've got a cup final coming up on Sunday. Even with all of those things, you can go out and be professional and you can control a game and you can play some decent football. You know, the two things aren't mutually exclusive. And I think what we saw was a group of players who weren't prepared properly. I don't think they were prepared properly. I don't think they were focused. I think they were complacent. And I think ultimately that's the job of the manager. When it comes to a team being sent out on the pitch in the right way, whatever game it is, whether it's against Ostersund or whether whether it's against Manchester City, the manager's job is to get them prepared in the right way for that game, within the context of that game. And I don't think that he did that last night. Well, I, it was interesting. I, I interpreted his press, uh, press conference comments of, you know, we were prepared properly and yet we weren't focused enough as kind of, him saying, I did my, I feel I did my job, but I feel the players did not do theirs. And I think what that speaks to is his failure to admit or understand or 
acknowledge really because he, he probably can understand it and he probably can see it but acknowledge that even if he feels he is doing his job appropriately whatever it is he thinks he's transmitting to the players is not getting through yeah i agree with you they looked just fuzzy in every respect didn't they 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 did not look up they did not look attentive to the demands of this game and I, he was taken to task a little bit in the press conference. You know, I think it was James Benjamin of the Evening Standard who said to him, well, this isn't the first time this has happened. You know, this is a team you should beat. Look at Nottingham Forest earlier this season in a cup competition. Again, you just weren't at the races on that day. How do you explain that? And he couldn't really offer a sufficient mm. uh, explanation for it because it it has happened time and time again. And I do think that, to come back to my original question, you're probably right. The, the, extenuating, the extenuating circumstances are not really unique enough in the mm. in the landscape of Arsenal's results this season. And I think we probably did underestimate the opposition. I think that they were significantly better than they were in the first leg. They were in no way overawed. And one wonders if, in part, that was borne out of the fact that over the course of the first 90 minutes, they realised that they could compete with us in... In lots of areas. Yeah, absolutely. I think they will be bitterly regretting the the opening 20-25 minutes of the first leg, where you could understand their approach. They're playing Arsenal, a team of some repute, um, even if their reputation kind of precedes us in terms of the way we play football at the moment. But you could understand their approach where they said, OK, we'll sit in, we'll be defensive, we'll just try not to give anything away in those opening 20 minutes. And they invited pressure, which cost them goals. Whereas when they came out to play, they realised after, after that period that they didn't have a lot to be afraid of or certainly that they could cause us some problems uh, along the way. I think that was something that they'll regret over the course of this tie. You know, they won last night and had they been a bit more up for it from the start, maybe, maybe they could have done something more in, in this game and that speaks to us. And you know what I, I find quite annoying is the the dismissal of them as some kind of pub team or some kind of, uh, I know they're minnows in the grand scheme of things, but it's not right to dismiss them as no-hopers or idiots or, or anything like that based on what they've done over the course of this tie. You know, mm. maybe it makes us feel better about ourselves uh, or maybe it gives us a way to to double down on the criticism of Arsenal by saying, look, we couldn't even beat these idiots. I don't think they're idiots at all. I think you have to look at what we did and what we didn't do on its own merits. We're quite capable ourselves of being bad without having to denigrate the opposition along the way. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for what they did last night and the way that they played, the way that they caused us problems. They were ambitious. They came to have a go and they had a go when they won the game it wasn't enough over the course of the tie and I think they deserve credit for that rather than being castigated for for being no hopers or or some kind of group of postmen you know that's not the case for me I think we have to give them some credit Uh, and we also have to say that this Arsenal team is quite capable of losing to anybody this season Uh, as well as being able to to step up on our day and be really good at times we're also capable of being really bad so we don't need to to, to hammer the opposition to make that point, you know, about our own no, flaws. I think, that, you know, the, the this is a team with uh, international players in it who've achieved some really creditable results against other sides in the Europa League already this campaign. Uh, our crime is not losing to a bunch of amateurs. Our crime is not being sufficiently prepared to face a decent team mm. I think that's more our mm. do you think I mean there's an element of of when the manager talks about preparing them properly and preparing seriously 
I mean, we can say here that he didn't based on what we saw on the pitch, but we don't know what happened on the training ground, so maybe he did. So is the other question, is what he's doing getting through to the players? I think it's a concern I've expressed a few times uh, on the blog and on this podcast that, that what he says does not get through or is not put into is not implemented on the pitch. Like, he must have an idea of what he wants his team to do. We saw it last season when we went through that period where we just couldn't win or we had a really poor run of form between January and the end of March, which brought about the change to the back three, et cetera, et cetera, that obviously he wasn't instructing them to play like that, but whatever he was telling them to do wasn't working. It wasn't working at all. So um, is that where we are with this? That it's not necessarily a case of... um, of, of lack of preparation, but the, the preparation that he's doing is just not getting through to these players. It's the yeah. same message over and over and over and over and over, and it's just they don't hear it. I think it's absolutely that. I think that, you know, there are deficiencies in our sensibility as a coach, but I don't think he's... I don't think he's incompetent. I just feel that there's something, there's something fundamentally broken and broken down in the lines of communication between the manager and the players. I don't feel the players... Uh, respond to him as you would hope and I don't feel that they're motivated to play for him in the way that you would hope and I mean you know to sort of jump to the end of that the the sort of nth conclusion is that you you can't replace an entire squad of players I mean I've seen plenty of people talking about wanting to do that Mm. after last night's performance but it is impossible you can't bin out 20 players and bring another 20 in in the course of a summer so you know when the players are no longer responding to the manager in 99% 99% of cases it is the manager who has to go because something has to reinvigorate a, a hugely expensive group of players. That's um, exactly it, yeah. You know. Yeah, so that, I mean that's that is I think where we are and I think that Arsene he must sense it but I don't know what he feels he can do to change it because I I refuse to believe he's just unaware that that's happening um, as a very intelligent guy. Mm. But he doesn't seem to be able to draw responses from his team in the way that he used to. And I do think that is a kind of an inevitability, really, when you have such a prolonged reign. It's it's difficult to sustain that kind of influence, and we're watching it wane uh, almost on a weekly basis. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, we can do formation changes, we can rejig our attack... But ultimately, the the way we play football at the moment, the way we've played football for about the last 18 months, leaving aside those days when we talk about being on our day, we can do this, that and the other. And that's very true. But the issue, I think, is consistency and consistency of performance and consistency of results. That is how you, that's how you judge a team, right? Anyone mm. can play brilliantly every now and again. But unless you can do it on a consistent basis then you have problems. I mean, you talk, you think about players even. That's how you also judge a player. Like a guy can be absolutely outstanding one day and then have six stinkers and then be outstanding again. And people like sometimes to think that the one game where he's brilliant, that's his level. That's what he's capable of. But unless he's capable of, capable of that week in, week out, what you're talking about is uh, an average player. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're seeing with this team is that we're unable to replicate our good days because I'm not even sure we know how it is we come about our good days. It's just everything clicks and everything works and we like it and it's it's fun to watch and uh, it's fun to watch more and more because it's becoming more and more rare. Those days are the exception rather than the rule, uh, whereas in the past, Arsene Wenger's teams at least 
were always good to watch. They played nice football. They weren't always as effective as we might like. We still had these defensive problems. We were a bit flaky at times. But generally speaking, you could see what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And as this season has gone on, this flitting between back three and back four, uh, I don't think it helps. I don't know that we have the personnel to to deal with the formation changes the way he might like. We certainly don't have the midfield to to do it as well as we might like. It's um, yeah, it's it's becoming increasingly hard to watch. And I think what we're seeing is a manager who is struggling. He's running to stand still, basically. That he's yeah. he's he's just basically struggling to find a way to make it all work. And I think that's just going to continue between now and the end of the season. And I don't think it's coincidence that some of the high points that you reference come in cup competitions or in cases where there's kind of an organic motivation. So if you look at, this, uh, say, an FA Cup semi-final or a final, it's fundamentally less incumbent on the manager to get players focused mm. for those games. There is an inherent pressure that sometimes brings the best, I think, out of our team. Uh, but when it, the, the responsibility of the manager is to get the guys as fired up or certainly as concentrated for Ostersons as they would be for Manchester City, that's what makes you champions. That's what made mm. Arsenal at Wenger's height invincibles, that they could go to any ground uh, and play with the same determination, the same the same conviction to get a result. And at this point, we don't have that. We kind of flip-flop. You know, we, we oscillate wildly and it does seem often determined by circumstance. You know, if the players themselves feel, well, this is an occasion where we need to step up, but there's there's nobody who's able to turn that screw week in, week out and ensure they put the kind of run together. You need to be a, a truly successful team mm. in, in the real measure, which is the, the league campaign. Mm. I want to talk to you a little bit about Danny Welbeck because I know you were hope, hoping last night that he would have a, a game, have a performance, yeah. get a goal, perhaps boost his confidence a little bit. And it didn't happen again for him. He was described by Arsene Wenger before the game as someone who's had a very torrid time with injuries. And I think that's true. He's had two really significant knee injuries. Um, But if we're looking at a guy who can't make an impact against a team like Ostersund, and I'm in many ways I'm loath, I'm not even trying to be critical of Danny Welbeck, but just to try and analyse where he is, um, I think it's harder for individuals to shine when the team is struggling the way that Arsenal are struggling. Mm. Um, but it's a bit of a worry, isn't it, for Welbeck that a lot of the promise that he showed in the early part of his Arsenal career, the pace, the power, the athleticism, the running, the determination, he, like so many, looks a completely different man at this point. Yeah, he does. And, and I was optimistic for him last night. I thought he had a really difficult game uh, in the away leg, a poor game, to be honest. But there was the kind of the excuse of the pitch, which absolved him a little bit. And I think Arsene Wenger alluded to that himself. But last night at home against Ostersons was an opportunity for him to gain a little bit of confidence back. The, I mean, the reason I was so hopeful for that and really wanting it to happen is that I remember the impact that Danny Welbeck made against Manchester City last season in the FA Cup semi-final. He came off the bench, I think about 20 minutes before the end. And in that period, and certainly in extra time, he absolutely ran them ragged. And it was a, a crucial contribution. Mm. I think one that probably helped cement his starting place uh, come the final. And, I, you know, we may need something from him this weekend without Lacazette, you know, 
Aubameyang hasn't played for 15 days. Is he really going to play for 90 or potentially, if we're lucky, 120 minutes? You know, Welbeck might be involved. And I was thinking if he could just get a little bit, you know, something break for him, one off the shin as he likes, or one off his ankle or mm. something. But it just wasn't there. And I, his finishing's always been erratic. He's never looked particularly composed in the box. But even when he's been misfiring, there have been periods in the past where his hold-up play or his running in the channels or his ability to link things up has been exemplary. And I guess what was a bit distressing about last night's performance is that none of those elements were really in place. And it is hard being the spearhead of a dysfunctional team, but he looks he looks well short of the player we've seen glimpses of and certainly well short of the player without injury that we hoped he might become. Mm. Arsene Wenger talked about wanting to keep him um, even though his, yeah. his contract. But I mean, I think that kind of talk is basically redundant because... He says that about everybody, right? Yeah, he does. But also I think we we don't know what's going to happen this summer in terms of the manager's position. Um, I know people keep saying, well, you know, why would it change? How is anything going to change? But I think results between now and the end of the season could dictate that. Um, either successful results or unsuccessful results. And at the moment, I, I fear, I really do fear that the rest of this season could be a real drag. You know, we'll chat about the Carabao Cup final in part two. I think we've got a question there. So we'll chat about that. But I do wonder how he's going to motivate this team in the league when they're so far behind the top four, when he's finding it so difficult to to get performances out of them. Um, So, yeah... It seems redundant to me to talk about what what we might do with Danny Welbeck um, because we don't know who's going to be making that decision and we also don't know what, what Danny Welbeck wants to do. Were you a little surprised that he played Hector Bellerin last night? I was more than a little surprised. I was really... I mean, I suppose surprise might not be the right word because you can't be surprised that we played our only right back. Uh, but mm. I, re- I thought given the potential to play Ainsley Maitland-Niles there perhaps or Callum Chambers even, I really would have advocated leaving Bellerin out. You know, it's Thursday night before a Sunday Cup final in one of the most physically demanding positions on the pitch. I mean, you know, who can cover more ground than Bellerin does getting up and down that flank? Um, As it happened, I didn't think Bellerin had his best night. I mean, he was one of the players who I thought, you don't look at your normal level. You know, you don't look switched on. I know he got the assist, but... Uh, well, he looked to me like a player who knew he was going to have to play against Manchester City on yeah. on, on Sunday. You're absolutely and, right. And was You're sort of playing right. within himself a bit. And I'm not making excuses for that or, or, or anything else, but I'm just saying that if you were him and you were in that position in a game like that, number one, you don't want to risk your place in a cup final. You don't want to get an injury. There was one moment, I think, where he went in for a 50-50 in their box and the guy came across and it was one of those where they kind of both kicked the ball at the same time. And honestly, I winced. I was like, oh, this is one of those where, you know, a player could just pick up a knock, an ankle sprain, something like that. Thankfully, he got up and was was fine. Um, but It is kind of absurd, though, isn't it, that Arsene feels that he's the only real option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there has to be, you know, even uh, a youth player, there must be somebody who could play at right back. Hmm. There must be. 
Like Maitland-Niles could do it. Maitland-Niles is that guy, I think, isn't it? You could do Maitland-Niles at right-back. If you're going to play him at left-back, play him at right-back. You could play Joe Willock in central midfield in a game Mm. like last night's. If you're taking it as seriously as we were taking it, and if you're going to take the Carabao Cup final seriously, I think to put your first-choice right-back at risk was... I mean, he got away with it, but, you know, we have to factor in fatigue. Well, we'll know on Sunday if he got away with it, because Hector Bellerin will be up against... Leroy Sano, you know, probably the best left-sided player in English football. So we'll, we'll find out on Sunday to what degree we got away mm. with it. I was, I was surprised by that, and I think I was a little bit surprised by some of the other inclusions. I know Jack Wilshire hasn't had much football, but I, I think the way the game panned out, and with us needing to keep senior players on the pitch in order to prevent the scoreline becoming even more concerning, that has hurt us a little bit. I think Wilshire played more minutes than. Arsenal would have liked and I think the same is probably true of Alex Awobi who who went off with cramp and has to be one of the players you know with Mkhitaryan cup tied who might well start on Sunday yeah yeah it's um, strange business but look we're through the draw takes place today at midday we can find out uh, who it is we're going to be playing Um, let me just go through the the list of teams that we could face Um, AC Milan Dynamo Kiev uh, Mm-hmm. Athletic Bilbao, Atletico Madrid, CSKA in Moscow, Salzburg, uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, Borussia Dortmund, Lazio, Sporting Lisbon, Leon, Marseille, uh, Pilsen, uh, Red Bull Leipzig, and uh, Locomotive Moscow. So some potentially long trips there as well, but also some potentially uh, very tricky opponents. And I think it is a case that whoever we draw, the manager is going to have to start taking this competition very, very seriously in terms of his team selection. He's got to go for it with his big names, I think, from now on. Uh, if that's if that's what the, the second string can produce against a team, with all due respect, and again, you know, I'm not calling them idiots or anything like that, but a team like Ostersund, who aren't even par- uh, haven't even started their, their league campaign, they're still in their preseason phase, if that's what that second string produce against them, then he's got to go uh, stronger in, uh, in games against much better opposition. Yeah, I must, and I must say, I don't know to what degree last night is colouring my perception, but when you read that list out, there are not a lot of teams there that I would strongly fancy us against. I mean, mm. you know, we talk about the Europa League as being our sort of best hope of reaching the Champions League, and I think it is in purely kind of numbers terms, uh, but it's we're going to have to improve significantly to beat some of the teams on that list. Mm. Um so, yeah, I, I think it absolutely will be the strongest possible 11 from this point on. Um, hopefully as well. You know, we spoke about Danny Welbeck. The the talk is that Lacazette is a little bit ahead of schedule. So the sooner he can come back as well to to help in that, the better. Mm. Just uh, while we were talking about Hector Bellerin, I just wanted to ask you before we get into part two about what you thought of the... Uh, the audio that was uh, doing the rounds mm. during the week, uh, it sounded like uh, Hector Bellerin, uh, I will just say that we can't confirm or deny 100% whether it was him or not, talking about a move to Barcelona, talking about how perhaps all, all the Arsenal training sessions were the same. Um, what did you make of that audio? What did you make of some of the the stuff that went on around it? I saw you tweeting, you didn't think it was real. No, I, I have to be honest that I, my first instinct was that it was a, a good Bellerin impression, uh, but there were points where I was like, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. I, the, the timing of it as well felt very suspicious to me uh, in terms of you know when it 
when it came out, not mm. necessarily when it was created. Um, I must be honest, I've got plenty of doubts on that, that, you know, I've gone back and listened to it and thought, well, God, it does sound like him. One factor in it for me is if you had it, would you release it in this manner or would you take it to the press? But maybe the mm. press would say it's inadmissible. Maybe it's an illegal recording. Uh, it's difficult. Uh, to be honest, it, to me personally, it doesn't hugely matter if it's real or not because yeah. there's almost nothing in it that I consider hugely surprising. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I don't think there's anything in it. You know, it's a private conversation. What it sounds like to me, and I, I've listened to it, and I listened to it very closely with headphones. I listened to it, and I tried to take some little snippets from his Oxford Union interview and, and some phrases. And, you know, there was what I think he said training session and he said training session in, in the Oxford Union thing. And they say, you know, to me, it sounds exactly like him. I didn't mm. hear the slip in the so-called impersonation that people said that it was. I also wonder what on earth people think or why people would think someone would make this. Why would they fake it? I don't get what, what was going on there. And I understand that Arsenal fan TV is a divisive thing for some people. I understand that some of the people on that channel um, are very, very divisive. People don't like some of the people that appear on it. But I think to point the finger at Arsenal fan TV or Robbie to have sort of manufactured a fake tape of Hector Bellerin in a car talking on a telephone, like is just in the realms of lunacy it's absurd to me that anyone thinks they would go and do that that they would somehow secretly surreptitiously source the best Hector Bellerin impressionist in the world because that's what it sounds like to me it really is like what did they do hold some fucking x factor auditions to find the the best Bellerin impersonator it's it's ludicrous that somehow the arsenal fan base is so concerned with fighting each other that they invent stuff which is clearly nonsense to have a go and to just blast each other on twitter all day and i think that's that's the really sad part for me is that Everything these days is somehow you've got to take this position on it. You've got to be against this person or against that person when you can just ignore them or you can just turn them off or you can just not watch them in the first place. But, you know, I think it's um, it's bizarre to me that people would start uh, talking about this thing being cooked up and manufactured and fake and, and all that kind of stuff. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. What it is is, A, an invasion of privacy. Number two, it's a, a guy talking when he didn't think he was being recorded. So you would ask yourself... Uh, and ask everybody who's listening to this if you were having a private conversation with somebody uh, and it was released into the world, would it contain some stuff that you probably didn't want out there? Yes, it probably would. But ultimately, it doesn't make any fucking difference. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't have any impact on Hector Bellerin as a player, or as a professional, or anything like that. Um, and, and it's strange to me that people can look at Arsenal and look at what's going on and look at all the problems we have and criticise the club for this. We can criticise the club for that. We can criticise the players for the other. We can criticise the manager, the owner. We can, we can look and analyse and find things wrong. But somehow, if a player says it, this is not acceptable? Where is that? Where is the mental gymnastics for that? I don't get it. No, I mean one thing that is interesting about the the clip, if if it is to be true, is we don't know when it was recorded. Mm. It could have been 
last week. It could have been two years ago. You yeah, know, we, we don't know for sure. Uh, but <laughs> the, the, I think that the, there are things that in it that do ring true, and the comment about training sessions is certainly mm. one of those, and perhaps the most alarming thing. You know, the fact that Hector Bellerin would consider a move to Barcelona, or that Barcelona would be interested in Hector Bellerin, Ooh, is almost not news. Kel surprise. Kel surprise. Um, yeah, I, I think it was probably like a dodgy Uber driver who knew who he had in the car and stuck his phone on record or something like that. Um, but look, we never know. We're speculating. And like I said, we can't say for sure if it, if it was him or not. But I, I would put, I would say that it is just based on the accent and the, the way that he speaks. It's very, very distinctive, which doesn't make it easy to impersonate, by the way. Just because something is very distinctive doesn't mean it's easy for an impressionist uh, to do it. Um, don't we have... No, I mean, I've been trying to do it myself this yeah, week, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's hard. It is a hard. It's fucking hard. I know. I've tried to do it myself, and it is, it is hard. Don't we have... Um, what's the guy? Luke Kempner? Is that his name? Luke Kempner. He's Luke an Kempner. impressionist and he listens to the podcast. Luke, can you try your best Hector Bellerin for us and stick it up on Twitter and uh, yeah. and see how it sounds? Um, but ultimately, you know, it's it's just another big fucking storm in a teacup, um, which means very little at the end of the day. So um, hopefully, uh, hopefully Luke nails it and then we can record some some pro Arsenal fake Bellerin audio stuff and leak that to try and improve the general media yeah. and the club. Or maybe we'll discover it was Luke all along. Dun, dun, dun. dun. All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to leave it there for part one. We'll come back with questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Extra Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog, and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. I've got a question to get us started, James. It mm-hmm. comes from Jay Sealan, who is at JJ underscore Sealan on Twitter. And he says... How many defenders should we play on Sunday? The obvious answer is about 50. But I think what he's asking is, should we play about three or about four? What's your thoughts on this? Uh, My thoughts, I would personally, I would play a back three. Mm. But I think Arsene Wenger is done with the back three. That's that's the way I see Mm. it. What do you think? I would play a back three as well, to be honest. I think... Our best performances in big games in recent times have come with a back three. I think it gives us... Unwanted family guests are like fish. They start to stink after three days. So what's the best mattress for them this holiday season? Definitely not a nectar. Then they'll never leave. Flip those fish your old mattress and put your human body on a nectar. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. A fresher deal than your mackerelly mother-in-law, right? Go to Nectarsleep.com today. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. (music) 
a bit more defensive security than the back four currently does. I prefer a back four in general, to be honest. I'm much more of a back four man, but with the players that we've got, with the way the back four has been operating since we've tiddled our way back to it, I would prefer a back three. I think if you look at the best performances over the last 12 months or nine months, there are three that stand out for me. There's the FA Cup final against Chelsea, back three, mm-hmm. epic defensive performance. I know some of it was a bit last ditch, but to me, that was one of our best performances. Manchester City in the semi final. I think that was a, a really good performance as well. And also the uh, game against Tottenham earlier in the season where we, we played them off the park. And that was with a back three as well. That was the game where I felt like after uh, quite a number of months, the players had finally, finally really come to terms with the back three. And then Im- almost immediately afterwards, we started moving back to the back four which I don't think has helped this sort of confusion about you know where we are and what we're doing hasn't helped. I do think that if we're going to beat Manchester City on Sunday, it's going to require a performance on a par with those. And I haven't seen us play that well with a back four against a big team in I can't remember how long. So for me, a, a back three would be the right way to go. Um but what when sort did of a, we last play it? That's, yeah. that's. I mean, was it the? Did we play it in the Carabao Cup against Chelsea in the home leg? Uh, maybe I can't. I, re- I can't remember. I can't remember. It's not. But too I think long if we ago, did, but, yeah, that's about that's a month or so ago. But it's one, two, three, four, five games. You know, there were five games in between in mm. which we played about four. I, I just have a hunch that Arsene has moved on from the back three in his mind, but. I don't know. Do you think he could still deploy it on Sundays? Not even as a one-off, you know, just to cope with City. I mean, he could, and I think he should. Uh, I'm mm. torn as to whether he will or not. I mean, he might have looked at last night uh, as a as a way to to make his team feel confident about playing with a back four, but... Um, that didn't quite go to plan. <laughs> it didn't quite go to plan. I can also under, understand the idea of an extra man in midfield when you're dealing with Kevin De Bruyne, when you're de- dealing with David Silva. I can understand putting that extra man in midfield because the the midfield that we will play, I think if we do play a back three, is going to be Shaka and, and Ramsey maybe. Um, mm. He could play Shaq and El Nenny and play Ramsey in one of the wide positions, couldn't he? Um, but he could play Ramsey in the kind of uh, the Mkhitaryan. Mm. Yeah, move move Ozil over to the left. What? What? Yeah, I mean, what? What team do you think he's going to pick? Well, we know he's going to pick David Ospina. Mm. Uh, any complaints about that from you? Or? Well, only from the point of view that. Although I think goalkeeper is a position which really needs to be upgraded in general, I think Czech is a better goalkeeper than Ospina. But when it comes to cups and when it comes to finals, Wenger has made his decision. Um, I'm not sure it's the right way to do it, to be perfectly honest. When you go to a final, you want to play your best team. If you consider Petacek your best goalkeeper because you're playing him week in, week out, I think you should play him. But it is what it is. We're going to play Ospina. Um, I think he was he was. Uh, a little bit culpable, wasn't he, in the in the FA Cup final against Chelsea? Um, yeah, bit chocolate wrists. Um, but it is what it is. So uh, you know, we know what's happening. Whether we like it or not is irrelevant. So it's going to be Ospina. Um, and then I'd, I'd have check on the bench. Yeah, surely, surely you wouldn't want to risk you know throwing a youngster into that 
into into that scenario. Um, Do you think he will have Czech on the bench? I think he will. I think he will. Czech said something during the week, I'll be there watching the team, is what he said. Mm -hmm. It didn't sound like I'll be there watching from the bench. It sounded like... Aspina loves an injury as well, so... Forever clutching a shoulder or something. I've noticed actually the last couple of games, you know, with a cup final on the horizon, he hasn't managed to go down <laughs> for a period of time in any of the games just in case. But, you know, that could be that could be just me being cynical. Um, um, well, I would have check on the bench. I mean, I would have check in the team, I must be clear. But if it's been a starting, I'd have uh, check on the bench. Then the back three, I think it probably, well... Well, you, you said has... he's going to play a back four, so you're going to have to pick a team based on a back four. Okay, if well, you think I, that's what I, he's going to play... I think he'll pick the four. Um, this is, I'll be clear, I would have pick a three, but I think he'll pick the four, which will be uh, Bellerin, Koscielny, Mustafi uh, and Montreal. Mm-hmm. That will be his four at the back. And then um, going ahead of that, I think you're looking at probably Shaka and... Let's see, this is where it gets a little bit tricky because Jack Wilshere did not look like a player ready to face Man City last night. I, no. I must, and Arsene Wenger gave him pretty short shrift in the press conference. Someone asked, oh, is Jack going to be okay? And he just kind of shrugged <laughs> as if to say, but I don't really care. Um, he has defended him this morning mm. uh, from Roy Keane's criticism, but it wasn't a convincing audition from Jack. I, I think it, it might be Shaka and Elneny and then uh, some iteration ahead of that of Ozil, Iwobi and Ramsey behind um, Aubameyang. Right. That's what I think Arsene might pick. But to stress again, I would go three three at the back. So what would your team be with three at the back? Uh, this is the one I want to hear. The one with three at the back would be Koscielny, Mustafi, Monreal as the centre-halves. I'd mm. play Bellerin. I think I'd play uh, Kolasinac as mm. the left wing-back simply because even though he's dodgy as fuck defensively, he does have something in the final third and we might need that. You know, he got a goal last night. Um, well, and he had, Monreal covering him. You yeah. Know, maybe that's a certainly safer option than him playing as a left back in a four. Yeah. Um, the midfield is difficult because I think the midfield that works best with the back three is Xhaka and Ramsey. Um, and then you've got a front three of, it's going to be Ozil, it's going to be Obama Yang, and it could be Welbeck. It could be Welbeck on the left of that Just front three. work rate, essentially. For work rate. Um, but midfield is a problem area, isn't it? Shaq and Ramsey would have to work really, really hard uh, to, to, ha- to gain any measure of control in there. Um, but I think that's, if it was a back three, that's the team he would pick. Yeah, I think that probably. I think that that makes sense. I, I just have a hunch it'll be that four and now Nenny, kind of in that kind of bastard mm. defense midfield hybrid. <laughs> Ramsey and Shaka ahead of, ahead of that, and then Özil uh, and one other wide. I guess it's mm. a straight choice between Iwobi and Welbeck, really, in the circumstances, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and if Iwobi's gone off with cramp. Um, on a big Perhaps pitch. that would be a, a factor, yeah. Yeah, that would be a factor. So, yeah, yeah we'll see. I, I think... It doesn't I, feel... I don't know if it's that we just lost our last Wembley outing against mm. Spurs, or I don't know if it's last night's result. But I, going through that 11, it doesn't fill me with optimism. 
No, I think the fact that there's uh, genuine confusion about which formation we're going to play uh, doesn't help either. You know, I think you need to be you need to be sure and you need to be aware of what your job is. Um, and I'm not sure the players necessarily do, particularly when we play a back four, we do look a bit. We do look a bit all over the place, but, you know, that's true of a back three as well. So, I don't know. It could be just one of those days, James. You know, it could be a day where it clicks for us and where we work hard. And like you say, they're up for it. They're motivated. They're switched on because it's a final, because of the occasion that they're going to be right on uh, this game. But equally, quite equally. St- strange, doesn't it, to have Aubameyang uh, in the team? You know, he's signed for us, but we've we've not seen much of him yet. Only two games in the last one a little while ago. Yeah. He kind of brings an X factor. You know, we don't know necessarily what we might what we might get from him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly we've got a player who could cause their defence problems and we've got an out ball. You know, if we need to relieve pressure because of his pace, we can try and go over the top if we like. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we we just haven't seen enough of him. We haven't... Well, I'm going to talk about Mkhitaryan, but I don't want to talk about Mkhitaryan after what we got last night. It was really poor. Mm. Um, but, you know, early days. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's early days stuff. So, look, it, you wouldn't put it past this team to turn up on the day and win. You just wouldn't. It's just kind of what we would do just to confuse us further. And we have... Uh, in the past, I mean, going into the Chelsea game, I don't think we were quite as underdoggy going into the Chelsea game, but in the week leading up to the to the final, we lost Koscielny, we lost Mustafi, we lost whoever. You know, Mertesacker had to start his first game of the season. I don't think anyone was giving us a chance that day, and we turned it on, we turned it on, and we won, and it was great. It was a brilliant performance. So you wouldn't put it past them to to do that. So that's the kind of little glimmer of hope I have about this game. Yeah, you've got to have a bit of hope going into a cup final and it would be fantastic uh, to win it. I'll tell you what, we had a question actually about the possibility of silverware from West Antone on Twitter. And Tone said, uh, would you prefer to win a trophy or two if you like and have Arsene Wenger see out the final year of his contract or win nothing and have a new manager on 1st of July? (sighs) (laughs) It's a difficult one, that, isn't it? it's not that difficult because if you ask me would I take two trophies of course I take yeah, two trophies yeah you can't really turn down two trophies you can can't you? you can't and look you know I've said it before I think if we do win two trophies and particularly if we win the Europa League it's the perfect time for Arsene Wenger to bow out um, mm. but if you ask me if it meant another year of him in exchange for those two trophies, a season back in the Champions League, you know, I want I want to see my team win. Simple as that. I want to see my team win trophies. And um, if that's the trade-off, then I'll have to take it. It doesn't mean I think Arsene Wenger should be our manager next season. I don't think he should be. More and more, I think it's, it's time, whatever happens between now and the end of the season. But... You can't turn down trophies. I don't think you can, as a football fan, turn down those moments because they are generally rare. For most football fans, they never get to see their team win a trophy. So the idea that you might turn down two is is hard. But yeah, it it, it gives you pause for thought because I think for the football club to to progress and to move in a new direction and to to start going in a different direction to try and rebuild to become more competitive in the Premier League. I'm a, I'm in no doubt that Arsene Wenger has to leave for us to do that. And a new manager has to come in. 
But at the same time, if Pep is sad on Sunday and we win a European trophy for only the third time in our history, I can't complain about that. I have to say, I hope he's really sad on Sunday because... I don't know if you watched the Wigan game. Did you watch the Wigan game uh, earlier in the week? Uh, I saw bits of it, yeah. Well, it was great because Fabian Delph was sent off and they they had a tunnel uh, camera in place and you could see Pep absolutely fuming at the decision, losing his rag. But Wembley, of course, as we know from our successful athletes in the past, have fantastic tunnel cameras. Mm. So I would love to see Pep, you know, trying to get to Arsene, a bit of fisticuffs, really, really losing his cool. Fingers crossed. Something happens in the game to bring that about because it'll be beautifully shot, I'm oh, sure, and you put know, up on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure, but they probably censor it. We wouldn't get it. And actually, is is Guardiola versus Wenger the manager fight you really want to see? I don't think it is. No, I don't think it not. is. I think isn't there another game this weekend which could provide us with a a it, superb it, manager is. fight? I it is this weekend, isn't it? I think it's just before our game. I'm not sure. It's weird, isn't it, when there's a cup final of any description mm. and big league games around it. That yes, always feels a bit wrong. It is. It's Manchester United against Chelsea on Sunday at Old Trafford. Antonio Conte versus Jose Mourinho. We haven't had their their press conferences yet, but they've been at each other this season. Throughout the season, they've been digging, they've been narking. Uh, Conte is in a situation at Chelsea where he's kind of he kind of knows. I think that, that this season is going to be his last season. Mourinho at United, he's got this whole Pogba thing going on. Maybe that's a distraction. But if you were to ask me which manager fight I want to see, it's not Guardiola versus Wenger. I like both of them, actually, you know, as people. I think they're interesting people. And Conte, you know, can take or leave him. But certainly, if Conte went full on mental, I want to see him go like a private pile in full metal jacket. On Mourinho. <laughs> I think we're all Team Conte this weekend. <laughs> yeah, surely. absolutely. Like, whatever your issues with Chelsea, I I, I mean, I, I will go out on a limb and say I hope Chelsea absolutely batter them mm. and that Conte physically assaults Mourinho. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I hope happens. Give me the full-on 3D, HD, 4K, in the tunnel, out of the tunnel, upside yeah. down, slow motion, reverse angle. Give me all of that of Conte mashing Mourinho's face into a wall repeatedly, doing the the uh, the curb stamp like from um, uh, American History X. That's what I want to see. I want to see ultraviolence. I want to see blood. I want to see guts. I want to see eyeballs popping out. I just want to see mayhem. And, uh, and then we can have a cup final and, and hopefully we'll win that too. What a day it would be, James. What a day. That would be lovely. Conte you know, laying waste to Mourinho. Cesc Fabregas chucking the pizza at him for old time's sake. Oh, yeah. And then <laughs> Paul Pogba, you know, putting the final kick in, the yeah. final boot. Mm, uh, yeah, and rather than a pizza, Cesc, if you could, you know, perhaps use an anvil. Maybe yeah. Like, <laughs> a morning star. Something, you know, really... <laughs> Uh, to finish him off. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. That would be a good warm-up for, it the, would for be. the finals. It would be. Here's a question from Adam Jordan, who's at Adam Jordan 23 and he says, are we not contradicting ourselves when we talk about players not taking a game seriously when we've such a low attendance and seemingly no real interest in the result unless we lose? Uh, I mean, there's something to that, that if there had been positives to be derived from last night, maybe people wouldn't have been so quick to do it because they would kind of write off the fixture. Um, however, uh, at the end of the day, <laughs> asking fans to pay significant prices to attend games um, is a very different thing from expecting 
players to be focused on a job they are being paid to do. Mm. Uh, and ultimately, I do think responsibility has to lie with the the squad. You know, that it's it's them who needs to go out and uh, put the performances together. I do think there is a deeper point about the kind of disaffection that Arsenal fans are, disillusionment almost that Arsenal fans are feeling at the moment and the distancing that is happening between the team and the fans. I feel that these low attendances whilst they are partly about the competition, they are indicative of something greater as well. Um, a kind of apathy that is worryingly creeping in. But mm. I think you can't hold the fans responsible for no. that. I think the players have to take that. The players in the club, you, you know, it's human nature. People are going to be much more interested in a game against Barcelona, a high stakes game against Barcelona, than a low stakes game against a team that most people hadn't heard of until we drew them in the in the Europa League. That's just human nature, mm. um, and I think the reason we're in this position is because of the way the club is is going, the direction it's going in, and the results and and everything else. So, um, I don't blame people for being not as interested in this game as they would be in a, in a bigger game. That's just no. the reality of life. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would venture that if you look at the times when we were, if you go back 10 years even, um, when uh, when Arsenal were, I don't know, I, don't, I struggle even say doing better, but when there was more optimistic atmosphere around the club, if you look at the, the League Cup games, for example, when mm. we were playing teams vastly more inexperienced than the one we put out last night, we were still drawing really good attendances for those games. And I think it's because there was a, a belief in the club moving forward, a belief in the project, a belief, a, a kind of pride in the identity that isn't quite there mm. now. Um, and so I think it is partly about, I think, I, I think it, well, look, we've talked about this a lot, but I think it speaks to the, the general mood of the club at the moment. And mm. I, I, to be honest, I struggle to blame fans for feeling like that. I really, really do. Because yeah. I feel the same a lot of the time. Sure. Um, I'm going to ask you another question before I let you do a question. Um, okay, no just worries. while we're on the League Cup finals, uh, that sums it all up. At AFC Giants wants to know, what are your best and worst memories of our previous League Cup finals? Worst is easy. <laughs> I was at Wembley for the Birmingham game. Mm. Uh, which was absolutely agonising because at that point we were coming towards the end of that trophy drought, weren't we? I think it had been about eight years at that time. Well, we can work it out. It was 2009. and It was 2011, so it was 2005. So, we so Six years. Six sorry. years, yeah. Uh, 2011, sorry. And the manner in which we lost it was kind of... Uh, foreshadowing of things to come, really, wasn't it? It was calamitous Arsenal. It was, it, it really was quite spectacular. It was Arsenal. It was Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal all the way, the way we mm. lost that. Yeah. Um, certainly, Did yeah. we not lose another League Cup final back in the... The 80s. 70s, 80s, was it? Yeah. 1988 against Luton. We were 2-1 up, up and Nigel Winterburn missed a penalty and then they scored a couple of goals late on and that was annoying but I think in the context of where we are and where we're going and and everything else certainly that Birmingham game was just it was just oh my god um, Tim Tim <laughs> from uh, Arse to Mouse Tim Clark from Arse to Mouse wrote a really great yeah. piece about that in the, the Arse blog book so Paddy got up um, it was it, it captured the day brilliantly I think this this 
hope and expectation that we all had going into a game like this, just being absolutely destroyed, wasn't it, by what happened on the day? And yeah, I, I think for me that that was that was certainly the worst one. Um, best one, I think, for, you know, best one, nineteen eighty seven. When yeah. when Arsenal beat Liverpool two one and Liverpool were the team that day, Liverpool were the the best team in the country, and that was in a way foreshadowing of what was to come because this team or that particular Arsenal team, uh, I think, gained some belief. That was a, a first trophy win for George Graham since he took over in in nineteen eighty six. He'd, he'd come in from Millwall club hadn't won a trophy since nineteen seventy nine, and Charlie Nicholas doing his little dance with Perry Groves. It was an unexpected win because Liverpool were so good at the time and we didn't quite know what Arsenal were capable of. And that was that was very enjoyable. Um, and obviously Arsenal then went on to win the league in 1989 at Anfield 2-0, as everybody knows. Uh, and I think uh, in some way played a part um, in dismantling that the, the dominance of that Liverpool side. So that was a great one. Yeah, and then we won it again in 93. That's the two times we won it. 93 was Steve Morrow, mm. wasn't it, in the Sheffield Wednesday game. That I mean, was when Tony Adams dropped Steve Morrow, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the infamous occasion. Mm. Worth pointing out, both times we uh, have won the League Cup, we've actually come from behind. So, you know, should we fall behind against Manchester City, which feels very plausible? Relax. There's no need to despair. Exactly. Just <laughs> relax, everyone. It's just the game playing out its natural course. Um, let's have another question shall we Mm. Um, mm, mm, mm. well actually we touched on him earlier Kolasinac Gio Gang on Twitter says uh, Kolasinac was possibly our best attacker and worst defender last night is he really a left back Yes, he is really a left-back. He's played a lot of football at left-back for Schalke. He played wing-back. He, uh, everyone keeps talking about who's in the in the Bundesliga team of the season. Um, does he look like the right player for us at this moment in time? No. But I also think we've got to be mindful of the circumstances that it's hard, I think, for defenders at Arsenal. It's hard for players maybe in the first year at a new club, um, which is going through a a difficult period where he has had a couple of injuries, I think, as well, hasn't he? He's had had a hip injury and we don't know how badly that's affected him. Um, He doesn't seem terribly convincing in... The defensive, um, the defensive uh, final third, the defensive third. But then in the final third, he's he's certainly got some drive and got the ability to make um, to make an impact. You know, mm. he, he's he's got a, a final ball. He's got the ability to finish. He uh, can contribute something as he has done. So I, you know, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I'm not going to write the guy off just yet. No, I think that would be unfair in the circumstances. And we owe him a, a little debt for last night. I mean, he wasn't great on the first the first goal, I thought, although he was done no favours by, I think, two mistakes in the build-up. But the goal he did get was, was well finished. And I, I, I think I would be inclined, if we go with the three at the back, to go with him as the wing-back ahead of Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Mm. I just think that experience could be, could be vital. <sighs> Kolasinac is one where... It hasn't quite worked out for him this season, but you just don't know what an, another manager or another system might do for him. And I think 
to discard him or write him off at this stage would be mm. would be a little unwise. All right. Well, I think we've covered pretty much uh, everything at this point. So we're going to finish off with a question from Jonas or Jonas Halberg, who's at uh, Jonas or Jonas underscore Halberg. And he says, so Wigan apparently have a midfielder called Max Power. What's your ultimate awesome names 11? Wow. Now, I don't Max know if he Power. means real names or if we should just make up some names. <laughs> Like, like what? If who you was were, that Arsenal youngster who had an incredible name, Flex? No, hang on. Uh, oh, do you remember? Did you see this the other day? There was yeah. a guy who signed a new con- uh, first professional contract, and then I said, "Oh, he's got a great name." And then someone told me, "If you're Nigerian, it's even better." That's it meant right. Something rather cheeky. But that, I can't remember. That what it is was right. Now. We should look that up. Um. um I'm scrolling furiously. I've got to find it on my my Twitter. Um, boom, boom, boom. Armstrong Okoflex. Armstrong Okoflex. That's amazing, isn't it? That yeah. really is. I mean, yeah, and, and the Nigerian listeners will, will read more into that than, than anyone else. But it, it even it's just the it's a lovely sound in the mouth, isn't it? Armstrong Okoflex. I mean, I know that he's only a, a callow youth but i think he deserves to be in the awesome names 11 yeah wow um i mean it could be a good i mean yeah armstrong Ogoflex. i mean it's it's brilliant but i'm just trying to find the bit where or what it is that Ogoflex means ah well uh and your oko is a body part which part i believe the winkle yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't want to be wrong about this because people are going to be unhappy with me, aren't they, if I'm wrong? But this yeah. is what was intimated to me by a follower. Right. Okay, hang on. I'm going to see if I can find out what this is. Okay. Uh, oh, Come on, Twitter advanced search. Do your magic. Armstrong Okoflex. Um and then someone said, my arms also get stronger when I Okoflex. And that was my first clue that something was going on here. Right. Uh, in the Yoruba language of the southwestern part of Nigeria, Oko pronounced a certain way, which I'm almost certainly not doing. So apologies <laughs> to the Yoruba speakers among you. Um, it, it means penis, yeah. So this Armstrong penis flex. <laughs> well, there you go. He's got to be in our team. Um, but, I mean, if you had to invent a name for a, for a, a goalkeeper, goalkeeper. What you, he's got to be called Hans something. Hans Stupper. Yeah. Hans Stupper is good. Hans Stupper. Yeah, that would be good. And then you just fill it with people called uh, Ted Rambo. He could be your no-nonsense centre half. That would be good. Ted Rambo, I like. Uh, Arnie Arnie Fist. What, what position does he play? He's defensive midfielder. Right. Okay. Uh, How's he spelling Fist? Is it like P A P H I S T? Oh yeah, just... that would be good. Yeah, yeah. You know what I was thinking the other day? I I, I, I thought about this, and in uh, I don't know if you ever seen a film called Angel Heart. I haven't. Right, it's with Mickey Rourke. It came out in the in the eighties, and it stars Mickey Rourke as a private investigator in New Orleans, and it had Lisa Bonet from the um, the Cosby Show in it, 
Um, but it was all about, I can't remember the exact plot, but anyway, Robert De Niro's in it as well. And he's a character called Lewis Cipher, right? Wow. Turns out, dun, 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 Lewis Cipher is Lucifer. He's no the way. devil. And at the all time, along. I remember thinking, oh, Lewis Cipher? Lucifer? Oh my God, this is so clever. They might as well have just called him fucking Bob Satan or Devil McDevil Face. <laughs> fucking ludicrous. Anyway, I don't know why I came onto this. What were we talking about? I don't know. I mean, is it wrong that I just want to play Armstrong, Ocoflex, Francis Cochlin, and Brian Penis in a midfield three behind David Goodwillie? <laughs> David Goodwillie. <laughs> but where, James, would you put Steed Manowar? Steed Manowar's got to be the playmaker, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, or a hatchet man. Or Steed you- is a brilliant name. I mean, Steed Malbronk was a very well-named footballer, wasn't he? I mean, I, I kind of always hoped we signed him just for his name. I feel like his last name let him down. Malbronk. Do you? What's a Malbronk? Is it something? Well, I liked that his name was Steed, but what? then Bronk was a bit like Bronco. There was a kind of animalistic theme. And Mal, Mal is bad, isn't it? Yeah. So Steed, bad Bronco. Could that be? What? Does Bronk actually mean something in French? My French isn't good enough to tell you. It means... Um, Bronk. Uh, I think it means imbecile. Does it? Hang on, I need to check that I'm out. on Google Translate here and I put in Bronk. B-R-A-N-Q-U-E, Bronk. Is that how he spelled it? Yeah. Yeah, just comes up as Bronk in English. Doesn't give us any translations. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. Um, well, there you I don't go. know. It's an old North French term, apparently. It's not It's not in modern French, but in old Northern French term. Uh, and I think it means imbecile. Right. Which I would really enjoy. I would really enjoy. <laughs> so steed, bad, imbecile. Hmm. Yeah. I prefer the Bronco idea. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we're better with that. Dick Hammer. Uh, who's the best named Arsenal player you've ever come across? The best named Arsenal player. I mean, Armstrong is a good name, like fundamentally. I'm you know, kind of, I'm, I like the idea. You know what? I, I, I'm not in, into the idea. You know, people who have two first names, I think they're greedy. Yeah. Like Colin well, Stephen. Do you mean like Jean-Paul? No. Like Jean-Paul. No, their or, first or name and like... their surname is two first names, like Colin Stephen or James yeah. Andrews, something like that. I, I'm not into that, but I, yeah. I dig the idea of surnames as first names. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. um, I, it sounds terribly American, but like Cooper something or other, you know, Cooper is a surname. I, you know, I'm just saying that off the top of sure. my head. So Armstrong, Armstrong is very much associated as a surname. So I like the idea of a, a surname as first name. I'm trying to think if we've ever had a player whose name was like particularly suitable for their position. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, like, have we ever had a striker called Johnny Loads of Goals? <laughs> no, I don't think we have. But I think I would remember that. You might, to... you might just remember that. This is going to be another one of those things where people go and remind us of stuff on Twitter, like the, all the people who told us during the week, how could you forget Lucas Podolski in your left-footed team? I don't know. Of course. Just, how could we forget Lucas? How, how could we forget 
I just hadn't been on Instagram for a while, that's how. Yeah, that's it. You've not been checking your social media. That's what that means. Mm. All right, well, look, I think we should leave it here because uh, we've got a cup final to prepare for and an Arsecast Extra on Monday to um, hopefully be uh, celebrating in. So, Well, that's it. Should I have been used today? I've, you know, I'm cramping up at this point and I'm going to have to start Monday. Mm. It's tricky, isn't it? It but is tricky. It, we'll, we'll go again. Hopefully we'll be invigorated by... Uh, a great result. It yeah. would be a hell of a thing, wouldn't it, to beat Man City in a Sure would. You be, you're the Hector Bellerin of podcasts. I am. Oh. I am putting myself on the line and leaking secret recordings everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actually, before we go, give us your give us your best Hector Bellerin. Go on, give us your best Hector oh, Bellerin impression. I, I, okay, this is with no preparation, okay? Sure. So I don't know what this is going to sound like at all. I'm just going to go with my gut. Yeah, but, you know, in the training session... <laughs> Yeah, like, and obviously, like, uh, no, obviously, see, it's, very, it's very difficult. It's, no, but, <laughs> how does it say? Yeah, like, obviously, I'm not going to listen to that, you know. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to you know, mate, the coach. If a coach is coming to me, he's going to say, I, I think I've got, like, Stavros, you know, like, Mario yeah, exactly. Evans' character. <laughs> I'm only 22 years old. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just a young... <laughs> I just say I'm mad, you know. Yeah. I don't know what I've got now. I've gone like Cypriot now. <laughs> Look, I mean, it's a difficult accent, but I didn't do the recording. It was Robbie. It was Robbie. He knows how to do the impression. Yeah, exactly. Robbie, the greatest impressionist of our generation. He's just keeping it all under wraps. <laughs> um, oh. All right. Um, let's leave it there on that wonderful note. I think we should. We'll catch you on the next one, folks. Take it easy. Bye-bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.